deadly wrong to deny any of your fellow Americans the right to vote in this country. Let it be that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights once and for all. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. James Madison again at the Constitutional Convention. A president is impeachable if he attempts to subvert the Constitution. Are you fired up? Are you ready to go? Fired up! Ready to go! Welcome to the holiday special episode of Podgressive. <laughs> Hi, John. Hey, Lauren. First uh, annual holiday yeah. Podgressive. First of many, I hope. I don't know what makes it a holiday special other than it's peppermint flavored and <laughs> we're burning like a pine scented candle right now. Well, it's that time of year. I think everything deserves a holiday theme. I don't see why Podgressive Podcast should be any exception. Odie agrees Odie with agrees. you. <laughs> well, let's jump right in. There's a lot to talk about. Um, the biggest news is... Alabama has a Democratic U.S. Senator. Yeah. Who would have thunk? Well, I didn't. <laughs> did you think he was going to lose? Yeah, I did. You know, I went back and forth. But yeah, I, there were certainly times when I thought the good folks of Alabama might just elect Roy Moore. And honestly, they came real close, didn't they? I mean, it was... <laughs> a little too close. It was about a one percent, one and a half points at the end. So yeah, it was close. There are so many Christmas miracles to come out of this if you will. First and foremost, good triumphs over evil, right? Absolutely. And last night was so much fun to watch because I had forgotten that feeling of like, okay, people are making the right decision. We all share this common vision for the future. And, um, and like, it's a win. It's a win for progress for people and for our country. Yeah. And on a scale that is just Hard to compare to because we really haven't had a candidate as outrageous uh, on so many different fronts as Roy Moore. Now, some people will feel that Donald Trump is, and I I don't want to dissuade them of that. I think <laughs> I think there's a good case to be made there. But Roy Moore uh, somehow even managed to take it to the next level in terms of his unfitness for office and um, to see him lose and, you know, to lose to a Democrat in Alabama, of course, which which makes it all the more. Uh, amazing and special and yeah it's good for america i think it's good for the for the world i mean i you know it just would have been a really 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 sad day if the united states of america the uh bastion of freedom in the world um had elected a person like roy moore to its highest legislative body the united states senate that would have been uh, a depressing thing and i'm glad that we avoided it although like i like i said very narrowly avoided it (laughs) And if I may be petty for a moment, another great thing to come out of it is like hopefully the media will stop paying attention to so-called four-dimensional chess player and Hollywood producer populist Steve Bannon. (laughs) Goldman Sachs employee, don't forget. (laughs) Uh, Walking human pest pocket Steve Bannon. (laughs) I like, you know, he's been labeled a genius and given so much attention and credit. And I hope people just realize that in fact, He's destructive to everything he touches. Um, and and so hopefully, like, the media will move away from having him as a story. And also, 
In keeping with pettiness, I love how Trump pretended that he knew Moore couldn't win from the beginning. Uh-huh. It's not a politician's instinct to be like, it's a sinking ship. I want to jump on that. Um, so I think that's pretty funny, too. Yeah, well, he's embarrassed that both of his candidates. I mean, it's hard to lose twice in the same state. Uh, you know, he nominated. State that you won by 30 points. Yeah, he endorses two different candidates for U.S. Senate in Alabama. And one after another each loses uh, after getting his endorsement. So obviously that's probably pretty embarrassing, especially for a guy like Trump, whose entire ethos is winning, uh, being a winner. He talks about losers and, you know, essentially demonstrates. It indicates that he has no respect for losers, right? So uh, now that he's a two-time loser in a span of just a few months in the same state, yeah, I think lying his way out of it is <laughs> his only choice at this point for the ego. Um, do you think this is a harbinger of things to come for Democrats? Gotta be, right? I mean, I don't know. You tell me. I, I you know, There's certainly a trend forming in 2017 that I sure think... <clears throat> excuse me, is likely to continue into 2018 and beyond. Yeah. I I would just say, ladies, come on. This is a PSA for white women. Like, stop voting for people who believe that a woman's position should be subordinate to a man's yeah. and who feels nostalgic for a time when slavery was accepted and when gay people were considered criminals and when... All decisions were made by a small group of white men who controlled the wealth. Yeah, well, Roy Moore has extreme views on any number of things, including women. You know, Roy Moore indicated that he believes that the amendment to the Constitution giving women the right to vote should have never uh, should have never been amended into the Constitution. <laughs> he said that women shouldn't run for public office. Uh, Roy Moore uh, is almost certainly a sexual abuser of teen girls. So... That's Roy Moore, and mm-hmm. yeah, it is amazing that uh, the exit Especially poll showed that evangelical white women. Yeah, went overwhelmingly for for men. That's actually been one of my minor frustrations watching some of the coverage today because um, there have been some blanket statements about how women delivered the the election to to Doug Jones, and there's some truth to that. But the but really, it's African Americans did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was by ninety plus point margin that uh, both African-American women and men uh, voted for Doug Jones. Um, and the truth is that uh, white men and white women didn't uh, overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. So it's really more a, a situation where uh, we got saved uh, from having a Roy Moore U.S. senator right. uh, by the black vote in Alabama, and thank God they did. And it's not enough to just say thanks. Mm-hmm. Like, these are people who need to be leaders in the democratic movement and have a place and a platform and a voice. And Democrats need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to um, include and support and improve um, problems that that community faces on a daily basis. Yeah, well, it's a it needs to be a priority. And honestly, um, it shouldn't be that um controversial i guess is the mm-hmm. best word for it um because a lot of the issues uh the the black community in america faces are issues that democrats ought to care about right. so when we're talking about uh justice in the criminal justice system when we're talking about equality under the law when we're talking uh poverty and issues of raising people up uh into the middle class i mean that's 
that's what the Democratic Party stands for right. and should not only say it, but should follow through and do it. The last thing I'll say about this is it was great and unexpected in some cases that a Democrat won. But to sound like a real liberal downer, which I love to do, um, even though Doug Jones won the popular vote or the majority vote in Alabama, that would have translated to only one out of the seven congressional seats going to a Democrat because Alabama is so gerrymandered. Mm. And so I think that speaks to the need for like a huge voter turnout in 2018. Yeah, well, I really had no idea. So so you're saying that Roy Moore won the in, in seven out of the eight congressional districts? Right. But then but then Doug Jones won so overwhelmingly in the in the one that that was enough. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that that does speak to Well, that's what happens. It's states like Pennsylvania where, you know, uh uh Pennsylvania <laughs> In 2012, I remember voted for uh, Obama, but then, you know, close to two thirds of its congressional seats went Republican because of gerrymandering. Right. It's amazing. So that speaks to how big a turnout has to be for any sort of change or control to happen. And it's important that we take over control so that we can make a more fair, neutral process for drawing the lines when that time comes after the 2020 census. Agreed. Okay, on to tax reform. (laughs) Jeez, there's a lot going on. Um, So right now, the House has passed its version. The Senate has passed its version. And there are a small number of Republicans uh, that are working through the negotiation of what that final tax reform will look like. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it looks like it's chugging right along, which is unfortunate because I think this is... um pretty bad uh direction to be taking the country in and yeah i don't know exactly so i it, what i've seen in the news is that you know there seems to be some tentative agreements between the house and the senate mm-hmm. in terms of where to take the bill yep and i i don't know the specifics at this point of what they've agreed to but in general both versions of the bill um are premised on the idea that like there's too much wealth in the middle and working classes and it's a conservative ideology that, you know, we need to pass on the cuts to the wealthiest among us and that that's a good thing for our economy or our society. And that um, conversely, like there is too much preferential treatment to middle and working class folks. Seems to be. I mean, that's what that's the direction the bill goes in. You know, everybody's talking about it as being the biggest tax cut in the history of America. And they're uh, there's some truth to that. It is a on on the net on the whole. It is a one point five trillion dollar uh, tax cut, and that would be the biggest in history. Um, but that's on the whole. So there, the actual tax cuts are much greater than that. Uh, when you're talking about the tax cut for, especially the corporate uh, rate cut down to I think they're at twenty one percent now in the most recent bill, down from thirty five. Um, uh, but a lot of that money gets offset by increasing taxes on other people. Right. So by taking away, for example, a number of deductions from people who have been claiming them for years um, and by raising taxes uh, on a number of working class people, which is what the bill does, and by making the tax cuts you know, temporary for, for uh, individuals and permanent for businesses and corporations um, and the state tax, of course. So the point is it's actually a tax increase on a lot of people. And so to call the bill a tax, the biggest tax cut ever, I mean, 
on the whole, that's true, but depends who you are, right? right. I mean, it's a big tax cut for, for some and it's not for others and um, pretty raw deal. Yeah. And I mean, that's the point. I, I think Republicans for a long time have thought that when government is too big, our social programs are too extravagant, and that like the whole point is making these cuts so we eventually they'll argue that a natural consequence is or it's out of their hands, right? Usually it's like, oh, sorry, we have this huge deficit that we have to address. We don't know how it happened or or why it's this way, but yeah, it shucks. is. And yeah, we gotta, yeah. we just gotta, we gotta, you know, the debt's too high. We better do something about we it. We better cut Medicaid or Medi- Medicare. And public. you know what's so amazing about it is because we see this in Jefferson City at the state level all the time, which uh, is that, you know, year after year, they'll pass some kind of tax giveaway to some group, uh, some special interest, uh, business tax cuts, that sort of thing. And over the years, it's, added up to hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars every year that we forego. And uh, then they'll turn around and when it's time to pass a budget, you know, and we have to find money for higher education, for uh, any of, our, you know, the vital state services that the state provides, roads and bridges, of course, they'll say, well, geez, you know, we agree that those are really important things and we'd sure like to fund them and mm-hmm. we'd do it if we could, but there's just not enough money. Right. Well, yeah, there's not enough <laughs> money because of what you did on the tech side of things. And so that the same thing happens uh, nationally and it will certainly happen if this bill gets through, which is, yeah, they'll come back and they'll say social security and Medicare and uh, uh, you know education and infrastructure, you know, those are important things. Sure. But you know, we can't keep racking up all this debt. We don't have enough money. Well, why don't we have enough money? Because right. you gave it all away to your corporate buddies. That's why. And like of all of the lessons to be learned from the populist rage <clears throat> that we saw in the last election cycle, never <laughs> did that translate to, for me at least, of like, oh, we got to cut the corporate tax. <laughs> Corporations are just overburdened in this country. <laughs> yeah. like that is not, not the message that I think everyone, your everyday people tried to send to Washington, D.C., that... We got to help those corporations out because, man, they're struggling. They yeah. have a raw it's deal right now. It's not like they now. have record profitability. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. People <laughs> the get The economy is doing yeah. well and doesn't need. Yeah, absolutely. People get it. Um, well, and even a lot of I've seen polls that indicate a lot of uh, Trump supporters uh, don't see giving corporations a tax cut as a priority. In fact, a lot of them <laughs> believe the opposite. Uh, there's uh, a huge chunk of folks who voted for Trump for president who think corporations should pay more in taxes. Right. So. Uh, yeah, the idea that we're going to give them a trillion dollar uh, tax cut. So uh, to me, part of it is, are they, you know, so they feel that way, right? Are they going to follow through on it? Like, do they take it to the next level and say, well, geez, this isn't what I want. Therefore, I'm going to vote differently next time or I'm going to write my congressman. You know, am I going to do anything about the fact that Republicans aren't doing what I want them to be doing? Um, I don't know. I guess we'll I guess we'll find out. I think that's part of what makes me optimistic about 2018 is that um, is that they can't really square that their populism with the uh, actual agenda of Republicans in Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the disconnect there, uh, I think, will have ramifications in the next election. The words of Donald Trump. We're working on it. We'll see. <laughs> is that what he says? <laughs> Always. It's like, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see in the next couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> It'll be tremendous. Yeah. Tremendously good for him, we should say. 
Oh, yeah. Right? And that's what, you know, there's so much lying that goes on these days from the administration and mostly from him directly that that it's impossible to keep track of, you know? But, like, one of the most obvious and (laughs) on-its-face lies that is so easily proven is that he goes around saying that this is not good for him and that this is going to be a tax increase on him. (laughs) Well, he's a self-proclaimed billionaire, right? He says he has... $10 $10 billion. It's probably less than that, but that's what he says. And one of the big provisions of the bill is the estate tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is absolutely no doubt that the estate tax, which only applies to big time, multi-million and billion dollar estates like his, uh, they're the only people who pay that tax, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's 0.02% of the population that's affected by it. Well, part of that 0.02% is the Trump family. And it's a huge, huge tax cut. For him and uh, from him, for him and his family, and so, it, you know, but my he just gets blood, away with lying. My blood boiled oh. when he was talking at the rally about. In one breath, he was talking about how we can't help lazy people who don't want to help themselves and aren't working, and really denigrating language about about poor working people. And then in the next breath, he talked about how important it is. That we repeal the estate tax, <laughs> which is largely a tax on unearned income for, like, the idle rich. It's it's amazing to me. Yeah, no, totally unearned, right? I mean, you know, you exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, on to the state issues. Uh, big news to come out of the Capitol is a story involving Governor Greitens and his staff's use of an app called Confide. The Gov, yeah, I had never heard I'm out of the loop on on the app game, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently there are apps where you get to send text. It's almost sort of like Snapchat, right? I, I always thought that's what Snapchat was, where if you send a message and then it it's a self-destructing message, right? Yep. Yeah. I. Uh, it does not... I'm sure it does not actually destruct. (laughs) (laughs) It's still out there somewhere. It's very Mission Impossible. You ever see those movies where at the beginning of every movie, he always gets a, he always gets a mission from like these far away puppet, uh, puppet masters and they're telling him what his mission is. But then it's always at the end, the message has to self-destruct. So some kind of explosion happens and he has to get away before <laughs> before it explodes on him. So the governor apparently has seen has seen the Mission Impossible franchise and uh, <laughs> what was those, what messages are so important that they have to self destruct? <laughs> I want grilled chicken for lunch today. <laughs> well, Tom Cruise and the what? franchise is saving the world, so that's very important. Now, what is the governor doing? I don't know. Um, it makes you wonder, though, doesn't it? What what is so controversial that um, you have to have self-destructing messages? Yeah, no, I mean, it. it's a problem for a lot of reasons. First and foremost, this is a guy who ran on transparency and clean government. Yeah, and open, open government, yeah. Open government, and he just mm-hmm. finds new, innovative, and destructive ways to subvert any sort of accountability. There are a lot of firsts, you know, and and it's amazing because, like you say, he ran as, you know, this is a new day in transparent government. And yet there are one after another, there's, you know, for the first time in Missouri gubernatorial history, 
the governor is doing this or this or this. And it's always totally, you know, antithetical <laughs> to openness and transparency. Um, so that's fun. Yeah. Fun is a word you could use to describe no, it. No, it's bad. It's a problem. Uh, <laughs> it needs to be called out. So, yeah, we have, you know, the Sunshine Law in Missouri, which requires yeah. uh, uh, records to be kept of uh, all state business, anything that gets written down. So that's true for emails. That's true for uh, memos. That's true for anything that gets goes around the office. Um, and they, I would assume, know that. That's a pretty understood part of government life. Um so why are they not doing it when it comes to that form of communication? Yeah, I don't know. I, I heard an, a, an analogy, which is basically like if these were emails or letters, it's basically just like shredding any. It's like taking a bunch of pub, public documents used to preserve the history and historical record of the state and just shredding them, just like putting them through a shredder and saying, sorry, future generations you don't need to know yeah and current ones too right so what are they hiding that's that's part of the question not only do they need to come into compliance uh with the law going forward in my opinion um and i hope i know there are some efforts out there to hold them to account on that um but it, you also have to wonder what what are they hiding you know what is uh what is it that's been and has been already deleted from the public record that we'll never know about um you have to sort of think that it's something they wouldn't want the public to see, right? Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise wanna... go to the, all, all the lengths of uh, using the uh, using the app for your communications. I think you should engage in some wild speculation. Any ideas? I, I mean, it could be could be Russia. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe he and his buddy Mike Pence um, and the Trump campaign. Maybe they're all a part of a team. The problem is, we'll never know. Now that's right. right. Well. Since like all the I texts said, are deleted. It, they're not <laughs> still out there. Uh, I wonder if there are like Snapchat filters on Confide. You don't have a Snapchat, so you don't really I've know. Never, yeah, I've never used the Snapchat. Little like kitten ears on official public yeah, documents. Yeah. <laughs> you, you think the governor is Political would... business or state business with like. Little rainbow shooting Okay, so out. if it's that, then I get why they'd want to delete those photos. That, <laughs> those could be a little embarrassing if they got out. This is not in the public's interest, bottom line. And uh, we can't get used to it. Like, this is a scandal that would bring down another administration <clears throat> in another time. Uh, it, it's a huge deal. It's a really big deal. But I feel like it's it hasn't received a ton of attention just because there's so much else going on. And one of the frustrating things about it is watching his um, and his administration's response, because this got right. reported in the Casey Star, um, and his response was very Trumpian. It was instead of to address the substance, it was just to declare it as a, you know, the biased media is out to get him and um, he's too busy working for the people to, to, you know, deal with essentially the fake news media. And um it's just kind of sad that that's sort of the era we're in now is when uh, politicians, specifically certain uh, Republican politicians, uh, get criticized mm -hmm. or people try to hold them to account. Uh, instead of responding to it and doing something about it, they just declare it to be a, you know, the fake news media is lying about them and yada, yada. Yeah, it's not good. That's not a good direction for the country to be delegitimizing uh, 
Because it's not fake, right? It was a right. completely legitimate and accurate, as far as we can tell, news story. Um, and, and based on the public's reaction, they know. Like, to pretend that it's something that's made up to score political points, it insults the intelligence of the public. And I think your everyday person gets that this is this is not a good practice. Agreed. Hope so. Um, well, let's talk about like proactive things that we're doing to help the state. Um, right now, we're in a period called pre-filing. The legislative session starts on January 3rd. Um, and before then, legislators can file bills that they intend to work on throughout the legislative session. So have you pre-filed any bills or do you plan on filing bills after the start of session? Yeah, so it's an uh, interesting time of year, and I, I have pre-filed some uh, legislation that I've drafted, and I've also got a few more uh, in the works. Um, and yeah, looking forward to session, hopefully able to advance some good legislation. You know, I, as I think most people listening know, it is uh, huge Republican majorities in both the state house and the state senate and Republican governors, so it at times can be <coughs> hard to... Uh, advance legislation that you and I uh, think is good for the state. So uh, one bill actually is um, would require, well, not require, but would have the state of Missouri um, uh, seek to fulfill uh, the environmental uh, goals of the Paris Accord. Uh, you know, the, our president has withdrawn the United States from the treaty and as a result, we're essentially the only country in the world that is refusing to acknowledge that uh, uh, carbon emissions are a problem, that climate change is a problem, and that it has a serious environmental impact, and we got to do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a shame, in my opinion. You know, it is a it's one of the big issues facing the world right now, um, and so a lot of other cities and a lot of other states and a lot of companies um, are saying, okay, well. The president can withdraw the United States, but we're going to go ahead. We're going to forge ahead on our own and we're going to uh, we're going to do it ourselves. So I think the state of Missouri ought to join in that effort until we can get a new president who uh, recommits us on the international um, uh, level back into Paris. And so, yeah, I'll be advocating for that. I filed pre-filed that, um, you know, another I, I've pre-filed a number of things. Another one that comes to mind is um, repealing the minimum wage legislation that got passed last mm -hmm. year mm -hmm. uh, that forbids uh, cities from setting their own uh, higher minimum wage. Um, as you know, Kansas City, by a, I think it was about a 70% margin, wasn't it? Right. Uh, passed uh, an increase in the minimum wage just earlier this year. Um, and unfortunately, you know, state legislators in Jefferson City decided that they know better and that Kansas City shouldn't be able to have its own local control on the issue. And uh, so workers in Kansas City right now who would be getting paid uh, more are in, instead uh, forced to earn the state minimum wage, which is uh, significantly less. So, um, yeah, that, that's a couple of things. How about you? What do you got going on in the works? The opioid crisis has hit Missouri pretty hard. And one of the bills that I'm pre-filing um, basically requires insurance companies to cover um, something called medication-assisted treatment, MAT, which has been found highly effective for helping um, people with addiction to opioid uh, substances 
recover and go on to live healthy, normal lives. Um, so it, it basically eliminates a lot of barriers, um, that people have who've decided that they want to go into recovery. Uh, it helps them access the treatment they need to be successful. And then another bill that I'm pre-filing, um, so I was contacted by a constituent who's a survivor of domestic violence. And when she worked herself up to move out of, um, out of the apartment that she was living in with her abusive partner, um, basically she couldn't break her lease with, with her landlord. Um, and now she Mm. has an eviction on her record in addition to trying to pick up all of the pieces. Um, so I am filing some legislation that just compels landlords to work with um, survivors of domestic violence if they need to break their lease prematurely, which seems pretty common sense. It does. Yeah, that's that's um, that's very important. It makes sense that you would um, have something in the in the law that, yeah, would require uh, uh, folks in that situation to um, to be helped out because, you know, that's no fault of your own. Right. right. If um, if you're forced to move out in a situation like that. Um, and forced to go through that, why should you be punished further beyond the the abuse itself? Yep. That makes sense. Yep. So Sounds hopefully like we'll find some bipartisan support for our legislation and get it moving. Since it is our holiday special episode, uh, we're going to close out the show by talking about our favorite holiday things to do in Kansas City. John is thrilled <laughs> right now. Uh, I love the holidays. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I have a great answer to that. Uh, do you have like, any traditions or um, traditions? So I like. I'm. I am a sucker for Christmas lights and decorations. So I. We do usually go around and. Uh, around the city and check uh, check that out. Um, the plaza lights. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And I also just like uh, so I'm not a big shopper um, any time of the year, and and Christmas is sort of included. But I do kind of get a little bit in the in the spirit during this time of year. It's fun to walk around um, places like the plaza and just uh, take in some of the holiday spirit and uh, watching all the hustle and bustle. So I do enjoy that. I also like Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, this is the time of the year where the games really matter. And you Saturday, like them till you... we got a big one. You like them till you don't. <laughs> In my case. <laughs> well, what if we win? Then you like them like for sure, em. right? Yeah. yeah. That's a good fan. <laughs> How about you? What are your, what are your favorite Do you remember holiday? the song? This is a, a very specific Kansas City memory. There was a song that was like, It's the lights on the plaza. Ice skating at Crown yeah. Center. <laughs> I remember that one. It gets played on the so radio sometimes. So basically everything that's included in that song. I love <laughs> Crown Center and the ice skating rink. I was just there a few weeks ago. Did you ice skate? In fact, I met one of our colleagues there at Crown Center. I won't. I won't. I won't say who. Did you ice skate with the colleague? I didn't, but I. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just got a coffee, but I did. I did actually suggest that we should go ice skating. He, he turned me down. You believe that? <laughs> He knows who he is. He's listening. <laughs> How could you, whoever you are? Um, so I enjoy that. And what? Oh, this is this is 
something that I'm glad I'm sharing publicly. Uh, I'm sure my mother will be proud, but I really <laughs> like like the Boulevard special beers and and I uh, look forward to those every year. Yeah, we just bought actually a couple. Um, we bought two different Boulevard and one Sam Adams as a present for somebody that I'm giving a present to who likes beer, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it's a whole it's a whole tub filled with um, winter and Christmas themed. Oh, that's bull- cool. Boulevard and Sam Adams beer. Yeah, <laughs> is it me? <laughs> it's not. It's, I'm sorry. It's not you. <laughs> See, aren't you glad we're having this conversation? <laughs> it is a great city, though, and it's a great place to. And I'll be. I'm. I'm sticking around for the holidays. How about you? Yep, I'll be here. I'm guessing I'll see you around. And we hope to see you all around. Be sure to tweet at us. I enjoy when people tweet at Podgressive. I'm trying to get in contact with John. I <laughs> screenshot them. And- <laughs> text them over to them so please stay in touch with us and we look forward to getting back to a more regular schedule once session starts in january everyone have a great holiday season and we'll talk soon cheers see you later